So our text for this morning's meditation is from our epistle reading, which we heard a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians 13. These words, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we see in a mirror dimly. So our text, that's 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, ancient, ancient handheld mirrors, handheld mirrors dating to centuries even to millennia before the time of Christ, ancient handheld mirrors have been found in Egypt and in China and in India and in Europe. And all of them, all of these ancient mirrors were made out of polished bronze. Polished bronze. That makes sense. The Bronze Age, as it is called, the Bronze Age, in which civilizations all over the world discovered how to smelt copper and other metals like tin to create bronze. The Bronze Age is usually dated from 3300 B.C. to 1200 B.C. So by the time the Holy Spirit in the first century A.D. makes mention of seeing in a mirror dimly. Hand-held bronze mirrors had been around for a long, long time. These mirrors, these bronze mirrors, were characterized as being useful, as being helpful, but being a bit unclear. Why? Well, a bronze mirror was a mirror made out of a piece of bronze, polished to the best shine that could be achieved. Women and men all over the world used them for thousands and thousands of years. They were good enough to do what needed to be done. But were nothing like the mirrors that we use today, mirrors which can show us every last little detail of our faces as we stare into them. Maybe at this point you're thinking, I'd like to get one of those bronze mirrors. Now, oddly enough, it is the bronze mirror of ancient times that is more representative. It's more representative of our our life in general yet today than our modern mirrors Modern mirrors that we have used since the 16th century, that is for the last 500 years or so. Why is the bronze mirror more representative for us of our lives? Why is the bronze mirror in which we would see ourselves but dimly more analogous to our lives in the here and now? Well, because in general we just don't know everything. We can't know everything. We can know, but we can only know in part. That is partially, piecemeal, in a portion-wise fashion. Now, you might not think this is that great of a revelation. You might not think that the limitation of our knowledge, our perception, is important until, until we begin to think how it is common to reject so much today. So much. Even the Word of God the gospel of Jesus Christ himself. 
with assertions such as, if it cannot be proven to me with exact precision and clarity who God is, how God is, what God is, what God does, how God acts through Jesus Christ, if you cannot convince me with overwhelming evidence why it is there is suffering in the world, why good people die, why life is unfair, if you can't show me precisely why it is I should believe in this Jesus, then I will not believe in him. And I certainly don't need to listen to you. You see, I'm all about clarity, all about precision, all about knowledge about the truth. I'm certainly not about sort of true or kind of true or maybe true. Of course, that same person having made such a bold declaration will go through a fast food drive up on the way home with no clue as to the origin of the food that's ordered or the safety of its preparation. Then with fast food in hand, drive out onto the freeway surrounded by hundreds of cars the condition of the drivers of which is unknown, as well as the vehicles they drive. The radio station blasts away, of course, with voices asserting all sorts of ideas which may or may not be true. You see, it's not just the Christian who lives each day by seeing dimly. But we all do. Every human being on the planet does. And that means, that means since we all at this time see the world dimly, that we all must live by faith. Live by faith, believing to be true what is presented to us daily, our world, its ideas and assertions and concepts as dim shapes and figures. We live by faith. We all do. The difference, what sets us apart from each other, is the object, the object of our faith what we each actually believe in. Perhaps, for example, to make some sort of sense out of life, we believe in someone. We believe in a friend, or we believe in a family member, a wise uncle or aunt. Such people are our go-tos. When life gets really hazy, yes, they are our go-tos. Until, well, they aren't. That is the day that we realize that their reality is just as hazy, as dim as ours. Perhaps we live by faith in a set of principles or, or guidelines, political ideas on the rights of man, scientific concepts explaining, it seems, our origin and our ongoing existence. Yes, we live by faith in such things until we realize that while helpful in the big picture, they too are simply a dim reflection of our reality. So maybe we just then believe in ourselves. Believe in ourselves like one of those Olympic athletes who do such amazing things to win the gold medal, to win the gold medal, that is, after all, the other amazing athletes who also believe in themselves uh, didn't do so well. Some ending up mangled in a fence or in a heap on a hill to be carted off to the hospital. Why? the confidence of others in them that urged them on, the science they learned but could not control, and the surety they possessed had dimmed instantly in failure. No, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter 
the glory of God to hide a matter. That's what we read in Proverbs 25. That is to conceal the minutia of what goes on around us every day, forcing us to live by doing the best we can with the dim world around us, by living in faith. But not faith in a friend or a relative. Not faith in a fundamental idea or even faith in our own flawed selves, but faith in the very Son of God, Jesus Christ. What, Jesus Christ? That guy that wandered around the Sea of Galilee in Israel 2,000 years ago preaching and teaching, that guy? Yes, that guy. Very God himself. Not stepping forth upon the earth in unimaginable blazing glory surrounded by a heavenly host and an army of angels, but a normal-looking guy. A guy whom, to whom the blind man in our gospel reading, the blind man who could not even see dimly, called out to for healing. The blind man couldn't see Jesus and yet cried out to him, cried out to him in faith. So he was healed. We too cannot see Jesus. And yet we cry out to him, to him, and he heals us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of David, forgive us our sins. Jesus, son of David, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Jesus, Son of David, stay with us and lead us and guard us and guide us. And Jesus does. Jesus does. Tempting, of course, is to look elsewhere in faith, to believe in someone or to believe in something, even to believe in ourselves. But realize that ultimately it's not a matter of faith, of belief. It's a matter of the one in whom we have faith. This life from, in which from day to day to day we can only see those around us, we can even only see ourselves dimly, that is, with partial knowledge. But here we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. Partial knowledge is almost always enough knowledge. Seeing dimly better than not seeing at all. Here I think of the current attempt to once again place a man on the moon. Heard about that? How long ago was it when we did it the first time? How long ago was it when Neil Armstrong first stepped on the moon? 1972. 50 years ago. And what was the computing power used 50 years ago to put Neil Armstrong on the moon? By one calculation, a basic laptop computer you can buy for 250 bucks at Best Buy is 100,000 times better than the computer used to land Armstrong on the moon. 100,000 times. How much more knowledge do we have at our fingertips today? How much more computing power than NASA way back in 1972? And yet Neil Armstrong did walk on the moon. He walked on the moon and returned, even if by today's standards that mission and all its particularities was dim at best. So enough really of the righteous indignation that demands complete and total knowledge of God and how God works in the world and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In no other aspect of our life do we live with such knowledge. 
In no other part of our life can we live in such a way. And in our death, nothing will change. Upon our death, we will not suddenly become God himself, knowing everything. But upon falling asleep in Christ, our dim lives, our lives will indeed become those of clarity and completeness. The old will have passed away, and the new will have come, and we at that moment will see face to face, and we will be fully known. You know, some people have that experience with eye surgery. That is, after having lived lived with a world which over the years had become progressively more blurry and unclear, even undistinguishable, such a surgery suddenly creates a whole new reality of what is seen and what can be seen in all its glorious color and depth and beauty. Our life in Christ now, however, is not that. But it is also not a life in which great fear and despair abound because nothing in this world can be discerned. Instead, it is a life lived in faith in the Son of God through whom daily what cannot be understood need not be understood. For in Christ, all that is needed, the forgiveness of sin, life, and salvation is ours. Looking toward the life of clarity in the, half, in, the half, in the hereafter, then, is what is called hope. Living in hope, living with the certainty that our lives lived with an incomplete comprehension of all that is around us, will come to an end, and we shall fully know, as we read in 1 Corinthians. And until that moment, living in faith and hope, we love, that is, we open and humble, with open and humble hearts, we daily endure all of that in our lives which is caused by not knowing, by not knowing fully all that is going on around us and why. That is love. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. The choir will now sing.